I'm John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking together about how to fight the devil. Now, that's a pretty broad topic, and I don't guess we can completely cover that in one program, but I'm going to do my best to to deal with it as thoroughly as I can, because the fact is there is a devil. And the Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to always remember this. The devil's main objective in a person's life is to keep that person from receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The devil never wants anybody to get saved. The devil wants to uh, keep people away from God, away from Christ. The devil wants to get people's minds preoccupied with the things of this earth. And ultimately, the devil wants to take people to hell when they die. Now, after a person gets saved, uh, the devil doesn't give up. I wish he would. I wish that the only thing the devil did was to try to keep us from getting saved. Then after we get saved, I wish the devil would just go and mess with other people who've not been saved yet. But that's not how the devil works. After we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the devil doesn't go away. He can't take our salvation away from us, but he can make our lives miserable. He can rob us of the peace and the joy and the happiness and the excitement and the enthusiasm about life that God means for us to have. And that's who the devil is. He's a thief. Jesus described the devil as a thief in John chapter 10 in verse number 10. Jesus said, the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does a thief do? A thief takes something that belongs to you. I've been robbed twice in my life. Both times it was my car that was robbed. On one occasion, I was at a gym, and I had parked and gone in and worked out and came back, and uh, somebody had broken into my car, and they had stolen some things uh, out of my car. On the other time, I had left my car in a particular parking lot and met some friends, and we had gone to a restaurant, and I got back, and they dropped me off, and I got in my vehicle. I noticed that, that I had been robbed, and people had taken things that belonged to me. And so when Jesus described the devil as a thief, he said, that's what he does. He can't take your salvation away from you. He can't take eternal life out of your heart, but he can take away your joy and your peace and and, uh, your contentment and your enthusiasm for life. You know, the devil wants to make your life as miserable as he possibly can. The devil wants you to uh, regret your past, dread your future, and endure your present. He wants to just ruin your life, and he does everything he can to do just that. And so on today's program, what we're going to be playing really is an excerpt of a sermon that I preached uh, in our church here in Pasadena sometime back, where I was talking to our people about how we can fight against the devil, what we should do when the devil attacks us and tries to rob us. How can we resist the devil? How can we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, stand up to the devil? And so I'm praying that some of these thoughts that uh, will be played today from that message will be a blessing to you. They're very simple. These are things that we can all do. And I pray if you're one of those people listening today who would say, you know what, I think I've been robbed. I'm not as happy and joyful and peaceful and excited about life as I have been in the past. And I just think maybe the devil's just robbed me. I pray today that some of the things that, that we're going to play from this sermon 
will be used of God to encourage you, to help you to stand up, to fight back in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to reclaim that lost ground that the devil has taken from you. So thanks for listening, and I pray this will be a blessing. I want to give you three things that you can do right now if you feel like you've been robbed. If you feel like the old devil has come along and not taken out that zoe, but he's taken, taken away the joy of that zoe. I want to give you three. No matter what the, what the devil may have thrown at you, if you will do these three things, I'll guarantee you, I wish I could say I'll guarantee you tonight before you go to bed, problem solved, joy's back, peace is back. Sometimes we lose those things gradually and sometimes those things return to us gradually. But if you'll do what I'm about to show you tonight, I'll guarantee you on the authority of God's Word that eventually, maybe not immediately, but eventually all those good things, all the zoe that God wants you to have will come back to you. Number one, this is so very important, maybe the most important of all three. Number one, guard your thoughts. I'm reading a book now written by a lady named Joyce Meyer. On, and it's called The Battlefield of the Mind. It's an old book. I've had it for many years, but I never have read it. And I came to church on New Year, a week ago today on New Year's Eve afternoon, and I said, I want to get that book and start reading it. And I took it home, and I have begun, and it's, it's really good. And the whole point of that book is that this is the battlefield right here. If the devil can win in your mind, the devil has won. And if you can win in your mind, then you have won. But what does it say in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7? As a man thinks in his heart or in his mind, what is it? So is he. So our thinking is everything. If our thinking is right, our lives will be right. If our thinking is wrong, our lives will be wrong. And the devil knows that. And so he, the battlefield is right here, right here in the mind. And so guard your thoughts. Now, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want us to see two verses here about the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Two verses about the mind that are so very important. And it just reinforces what I'm saying that as the devil makes his assault on you, he's going after your thinking. He's going to try to get you to think negatively about God, fearfully about the future, wrongly about yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So this battle we're in, it's not flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty in God for what? For pulling down strongholds. A stronghold is something that will put you in bondage. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this next phrase is the key. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Say that with me. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what does this mean, bringing every thought into captivity? What Paul is saying is, hey, he's saying the same thing I'm saying. We have an enemy in this thing called the Christian life. And the battle is in the mind. And if he can control your thinking, he can control you. But if you can control your thinking through the Holy Spirit, then you'll have victory over the devil. And so he says, what do we do? We bring every thought captive. In other words, the idea here, 
When a thought comes into your mind, you have to arrest that thought. What was it Martin Luther said? He said, I can't control it if a bird flies over my head, but I can control it. I can prevent a bird from building a nest in my hair, right? And that's how it is. We can't, sometimes you'll just have a thought and you can't control that thought. That thought didn't even come from you. It came from the devil or it came from somebody else or maybe you just made it up yourself. It came from your subconscious. You can't control every thought that pops into your mind. But you can control what you do with that thought. Now, most of the time when we think about thoughts, we're thinking about, well, he must be talking about lust and immorality. Well, we shouldn't be lustful and we shouldn't be committing immorality. And that would certainly be included in what I'm talking about tonight. But friend, there are some other thoughts that are just as destructive as those thoughts and sometimes maybe even more destructive than those thoughts. And so when you have a thought that comes into your mind that either makes you afraid that makes you confused, that makes you uptight. Whatever. Those thoughts are not from God. Because what did, you, what did Paul say in Philippians 4? He said, listen, if you're, if you're walking with Christ, if you're putting things in God's hands, if you're trusting God with your life, the peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So God gives us thoughts like that. Now, sometimes He'll convict us of sin, but God doesn't give us tormenting, troubling thoughts. Those thoughts are from the devil. And so when we have one of those thoughts, what do we have to do? We have to arrest it. I was thinking about this this afternoon. In my own life, in, in the distant past, in the medium past, in the not so distant past, I can see times when the devil has and does put thoughts in my, and I was home today thinking about, now Lord, what is the, not just for the people, but for me, what, what do I say when the devil brings one of these oppressive thoughts into my mind. How do I fight back? Because I can't prevent the devil from doing that. Certainly we can always quote scripture. That's a great idea. It's what Jesus did when the devil came at him. Uh, Certainly we can always affirm our trust in Christ. Jesus, I'm trusting you. That's certainly a good and right thing to do. But you know, sometimes the best thing you can do when you have one of those crazy thoughts in your mind, you know, the best thing you can say is, I'll give you three words that you can say. Best thing you can say, that's a lie. That's a lie. That thought is a lie. That thought is not true. I'm not going to entertain that thought. The devil will will try to paralyze you and me by putting thoughts in our minds that if we let them nest, if we let them grow, he'll completely shut us down. And so when you have one of those thoughts, you just have to say this to the, that's a lie. And I don't think about things that aren't true. So number one, we want to guard our thoughts. Number two thing we want to do when we're, Feeling oppressed, and that's the, only the second time I've mentioned that word in this sermon, but that's what it is. It is oppression by the enemy. Jesus is coming to offer us this edifying life, this abundant life, this overflowing life. What is the devil doing? He's coming to try to steal that, to take that from us, to, rot, to break into our hearts like those guys broke into my vehicles and take what belonged to me. He want, the devil wants to take what belongs to us. Second thing we have to do is to face our fears. To face our fears. Sometimes the devil, as the, you know, he's described in 1 Peter as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice it doesn't say seeking whom he will devour because he may not devour you. He may devour you if you don't know how to respond back, if you don't know what to do when you get in spiritual warfare. But one of the things we have to do as, as a roaring lion, he's always trying to intimidate 
And so when he comes at us with thoughts of intimidation, what do we do? We face our fears. We don't back down. We don't run away. We face our fears, and God gives us strength. I'll give you a beautiful example of this. I heard about, this is a true story, a girl who, five years of age, she went to her church's candlelight service, just like we had one here three weeks ago. And at the end of the service, when they lit their candles and sang their songs, accidentally, of course, but her dress caught on fire. And that would scare an adult, but if you're five, that would really mess you up. And so, of course, they finally got the thing, the fire put out, and she was okay, but it just did something to her. And so she said to her family when she got a little bit older, she said, that service they have at the church where they light the candles, I'm never going to that again. Now, who can blame her? Three weeks ago tonight, we had our candlelight service. And there was a lady who came to that service 70 years of age, 65 years after that happened to her. She said to her sister, she said, you know what? I've been afraid from that experience for 65 years. I've been afraid long enough. I'm going to church with you on Sunday night, December 17th, for the candlelight service. I'm going to walk in that room, take a candle, light it, and I want to compliment all of you. None of you caught her on fire when the thing was over with. She walked out of here unscathed. And I saw her sister yesterday at a funeral, and her sister said to me, John, i got to tell you the most amazing story, and she told me that. Now, what did that lady do? Well, she waited 65 years, but eventually she faced her fears. And so that's what I would encourage you to do. Face your, whatever you're afraid of, face that fear as best you can. You may face it with trembling hands. You may face it with sweaty palms. You may face it with a racing heart. But face that fear. And face that fear with Jesus Christ, not only in you, but by your side to help you through that. And the third thing I would encourage you to do is to leverage your faith. Leverage your faith. And I had an illustration I was going to give tonight about that, but the time's about got me, so I'm not going to tell another story tonight. But, but leverage your faith. In other words, whatever happens to you in life, view that as an opportunity to somehow grow. And Well, it would be better with the story. Can I have three minutes and tell the story? Three minutes. If I can, say Amen. Some of you are thinking, what happened to that compressed sermon you talked about at the beginning? You're going to compress it, and now you're back a whole full year of world history right here. Leverage your faith. I never had heard that expression until during Christmas. Andy Stanley, who pastors a fantastically large church in North Atlanta, was interviewing his dad, Charles Stanley, for a Christmas program on, their, on Dr. Stanley's In Touch ministry. It was a 30-minute interview. And Andy was asking him questions about his favorite Christmas and his memories through the years. Dr. Stanley's 85 now, and it was a great... I loved it because of the love that father and son had for each other, the respect. I love that. And so, when it got close to the end of the interview, Andy said to his dad, he said, You know, Dad, I noticed a few years ago that you call some of your church members on Christmas morning." And he said, when I first found out that you did that, I thought, what a dedicated pastor to 
take an hour or two hours on Christmas morning to call some of the people from the church and just wish them a Merry Christmas. And Andy said, I just always thought, man, my dad is so much more dedicated than I am because I don't do that. I don't call members, I don't call anybody except family on, on Christmas Day. And he said, Dad, there were times I would try to get you on the phone, and I never could even get you to pick up to see what time we were going to have lunch, because you, you, and I found out you were calling these other people. He said, but I never knew why you were calling these people, except I just thought you were being a really sincere, dedicated pastor. And he said, Dad, it was only as we prepared for this interview that you told me why you started doing that. He said, would you mind sharing with the audience why you call people on Christmas morning, not in your family? And Dr. Stanley said, sure, I'll, I'll tell that story. He said, in December of 2000, on Christmas Day of 2000, it was the first Christmas that Dr. Stanley had been through without his wife. They had been married for 44 years, and now she was gone. And so he said when he woke up, now some of you who live alone, who've lost a spouse, will appreciate this story. He said when he woke up on Christmas morning, he was just feeling sorry for himself. And he thought, God, all these years, of course when the kids were young, but he said, you know, but even after they were gone, my wife and I, and now, she, now I don't have her. And he said he just laid in bed for a while and he just was having a pity party. And he said about 30 minutes or an hour into that pity party, thought ran through his mind. It was like God spoke to him and said, now where am I in this situation? You feeling sorry for yourself? And all he said, don't you realize that even now I'm sovereign, that even now I'm in control, even now I'm with you, I've not, I've not left you, I've not abandoned you. And God spoke to Dr. Stanley and said, what you need to do is quit feeling sorry for yourself and get up, clean up, get dressed, pick up the telephone and start calling some people in the church, maybe who've gone through a hard time, maybe widows, widowers, or just call whoever you want to call. And Dr. Stanley said he did that and he called the first person, whoever he called, and said, this is Dr. Stanley from the church and I was just thinking about you this morning and I just wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas. They didn't talk long, but he said when he hung up that phone, he felt so good because he had done something to get his mind off of himself. And he said he felt so good, he called somebody else. And he felt so good, and he called somebody else. And Andy said, I know, I thought you were never coming to lunch because you stayed on the phone. But Dr. Stanley was telling that, and, and this is where it gets back to that expression, leveraging. And Andy said to his dad, he said, you know, Dad, the thing I admire about you and the thing I've learned from you all these years in your life, in ministry, whatever you've been through, no matter how difficult the situation, you have always found a way to leverage your faith so that even in the most incredibly difficult, painful, lonely situations of life. Somehow, you saw those as opportunities to grow in your relationship with God. And he said, I've just watched it all my life. You've always found a way to leverage your faith and to use those times as times to trust God. What am I saying to you tonight? I'm saying this. When you got saved, you got a new life. That life is called Zoe. It is an overflowing, overcoming, abundant, and wonderful life. The devil can't take it from you, but he can do everything he can to keep you from enjoying it. 
when he comes at you, if you'll guard your thoughts, and just many times say that's a lie, I'm not even thinking about that. Not only that, if you'll face your fears and if you'll leverage your faith and say, you know what, this is hard. This is a mess. I don't know why God allowed me to face. I I wish I wasn't in this. I'm in it. I'm going through it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use this as an opportunity to leverage my faith so that in time I can come out stronger than I would have been if I never had been through it. And friend, when you do that, have that kind of attitude, it is only a matter of time. Until that overflowing, overcoming joy and peace returns to your heart and soul. And you once again are experiencing life as God has it. And life as God means for you to have it. Amen. I just love that expression, leveraging your faith. And I am indebted to Andy Stanley and to his dad, Dr. Charles Stanley, for that story that I just shared. I I heard them share that on television Uh, not many days before Christmas. And Dr. Stanley was just sharing how he had learned to, uh, even in the face of pain and great difficulty, to trust God in an expanded way. And then it was Andy who had that expression where he said, Dad, you've always leveraged your faith. And so I've always, me personally, I've always had deep respect for uh, Dr. Stanley and for Andy. I admire their ministries. I thank God for their contributions to the body of Christ. And today, maybe that expression that Andy used is exactly what you need in your life. Maybe you need to leverage your faith. Maybe you are alone for the first time in your life, or maybe, you, maybe you've moved, maybe your uh, spouse has died, maybe you've been in a relationship that uh, has broken up for some reason, and you just don't know what to do. Well, I would encourage you to leverage your faith and to trust God. I think in times like this, what we have to do is to take some of the basic things that we have believed for years and years and years and begin to apply those truths to our lives. I can think in my own life, an experience I had recently where I was a little bit down and going through a hard time, and God just spoke to me, and God said to me, as clearly as I can understand God, He said, John, don't let this experience change your theology. Instead, use your theology to change this experience. And so by the the word theology just is a reference to what we believe about God, those things that we know. And so today, if the devil has robbed you of joy and peace, maybe you've been through a hard time that didn't have anything to do with the devil. You just went through a difficulty in life, and the devil saw that you were down. The devil always pounces on us when we're vulnerable. And so he has come to you, and he has discouraged you, and he's made you feel alone, and he's made you feel afraid, and he's made you feel hopeless and like you've got nothing to look forward to, and, and just really draw, has, has, has stolen the joy right out of your life. I would encourage you today, leverage your faith. Take your theology, those things you believe. You say, well, John, what do you mean? How can I do that? Well, one of the most basic teachings of Scripture is simply this, God is in control. Everything we go through in life has either been sent to us by God, and then sometimes we go through things in life. God doesn't cause them to happen, but God allows them to happen. And so if you'll just look at your situation and say to God, God, I don't understand this, but I believe you're in control. I believe you've allowed this. And God, I don't believe you just allowed it for no reason. I believe there's a purpose for my pain. There's some reason that you have allowed this situation into my life and you're going to bring something good out of it. And so, God, I am asking you to 
bring to do that, to, to see me through this, to to bring something good out of this. And Lord, I just declare today my faith and my trust in you. And so I encourage you to leverage your faith. When the devil attacks and starts putting thoughts in your mind, especially fearful thoughts and hopeless thoughts, guard those thoughts and just say back to the devil, that's a lie. I'm not listening to that. I don't believe that. And not only that, uh, leverage your faith and trust God and keep moving forward. We move forward by faith, and God's going to see you through. And you're going to have a breakthrough out there at some point. It may be sooner rather than later. You don't know. If you'll just say to God today, Lord, I trust you, and I'm not going to listen to these lies from the devil. I'm going to trust you, God, and move forward by faith. You may have a breakthrough before this day is over with. So that's certainly my prayer. I want to thank you for listening to us today on Peace by Believing. I pray you'll have a blessed week, and I hope you'll be with us next time.